0: Well, good morning. morning. It's wonderful to see each and every one of you. And it's also good to be back. I feel like I've been gone forever, but it is really great to be back. Would you guys pray with me, please? Dear Heavenly Father, oh, how we, we love you, how we thank you, how we thank you for this day, how we thank you that we can gather here and we can just... Worship you. We can praise you. We thank you for your just unending faithfulness. Your amazing love. A love that is so hard oftentimes for us to really be able to really grasp. But we thank you for that. And I just pray today. As we look at your word. That you will just open our eyes and our hearts and our minds. And our ears to receive this message. And that you will bless us with amazing grace and peace. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew 9 and in Luke 10, Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And here we are almost 2,000 years later. And in our church... And even here at Renovation Vineyard, we still struggle with this whole thing about serving the Lord. And I want to take a look at this today, but I want to take a look at it from a slightly different angle, if you would. And that's why I've titled the message today, Grace It's There for the Taking. Philip Yancey, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace? And if you haven't read that book, I would highly recommend you get it and read it. It's a great book. But in his book, he tells about a story uh, that a friend told him. And his friend said, you know, one day I was on the bus, and I was riding the bus to work, and my neighbor right next to me, a young lady, she was having a conversation with her um, neighbor who was right across the aisle, and he overheard the conversation. And this young lady happened to be reading Scott Peck's book, The road less traveled. So the neighbor says to her, he says, what are you reading? She says, I'm reading a book that a friend gave to me. She told me that it changed her life. He said, well, what's it about? She says, you know, I haven't got very far, so I'm not sure. So she started flipping through the pages and looking at the different titles of the uh, chapters, and she said, well, here's one on discipline. Here's another one on love. Here's another one on grace. And the man stopped her and he said, what's that? And she said, you know, I don't know. I haven't got to grace yet. And I oftentimes think about that when I read reports of all these different events that are going on around our world. And even in our country here, reports of wars and violence and hatred and racism and prejudice, political strife, religious strife. Economic oppression. All these different reports that we read. Many, many, many years ago, at a British conference, where experts from around the world had gathered, and the discussion at this conference was on comparative religions. And what they happened to be debating at that particular time, is they were trying to see if they could come up with the belief in Christianity that was unique. So they were having all these conversations and this debate went on for quite some time and they began to eliminate possibilities. So they eliminated the Incarnation because other religions had humans appearing or gods appearing in human form. And they eliminated the Resurrection because other religions had accounts of return from death as well. Well, C.S. Lewis happened to walk into the room. Now, C.S. Lewis was a very notable and brilliant theologian. He's best known for his whole volume on the Chronicles of Narnia. That's, why, that's where most people know of C.S. Lewis. So he walks into the room and he asks a question, he says, what's all the rumpets about? And his colleagues tell him, well, they're sitting there discussing about if there's something unique about Christianity among all the world religions. And immediately, C.S. Lewis says, well, that's easy. He says, it's grace. And after a lot of conversation and discussion, they all had to agree that he was correct. And grace is Christianity's best gift to the world. It is, if you will, think about it, it's a supernova in our midst that exerts a force far stronger than vengeance far stronger than hate, far stronger than violence. But what is it? What is grace? And how does that relate to you and to me? That's the question. You know, when we look in the Gospels and we look at the things that Jesus said, Jesus never really specifically analyzed or defined grace. But he talked often about a world that is suffused with God's grace. He talked about the fact that the sun shines on the wicked and the good, as well as the rain. He talked about how birds feed gratis on seed. that they didn't reap. They didn't sow to earn it. But they get it. He talked about flowers that burst forth in beautiful and brilliant blooms that are untended flowers on rocky hillsides so he talked about it in that sense he also talked about it in some parables three particular parables you can find in Luke 15 is the prodigal son the lost sheep and the lost coin so he talked about it there as well so let's define grace Let's talk about it in terms of a definition. And I really like, again, how Philip Yancey, what he had to say in his definition of what grace is. So what is it? Well, grace is this. We'll take a look at it here. Grace, and it's on your handout as well, but grace is there is nothing, absolutely nothing, you or I or anyone can do that will make God love us any more. No amount of effort, no amount of good deeds. And on the flip side of that, grace is there's nothing you, I, or anyone else can do that will make God love us less. No amount of racism. No amount of greed, arrogance, pride, adultery, murder, is going to make God love us less. We're created in his image. He loves the people that have been created. So grace basically boils down to that God already loves us as much as an infinite God can possibly love us. as much as an infinite God can possibly love us. Sadly, though, to the world that is in desperate need of grace, sometimes the church can be just one more form of ungrace. If you will, take a look. um, Let's take a little look at this video on grace. Just a couple of minutes. (laughs)
1: Well, I've got this whole truth and grace thing down. I mean, you remember that old 90s cliche, WWJD? I'll tell you what Jesus would do. He answered every question with truth and grace. So I try to emulate that. My wife comes to me and says, Honey, am I starting to look like my mom? I just answer her question with a question. Truth and grace. Would you rather look like your dad?
2: (laughs) Meet Timothy Talkerson. Fact. The meanest kid this side of Jersey. Truth. Has a rap sheet a mile long
1: for misdemeanors starting around age 12.
2: Fact. At 1.15 a.m., Timothy Ann Torkelson is decided... Whoa,
1: whoa. His middle name's Ann? Truth. No wonder he's so mean.
2: Anywho, Timothy Ann Torkelson at 1.15 a.m. did his last crime by trying to steal a Bob's Big Boy statue at the local Bob's Big Boy.
1: Truth. When asked about said statue,
2: Timothy replied, and I quote, I wanted a new big brother. Fact. That's just mean. To the core. Back in my day, we didn't have grace. We told the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help us God. And we liked it. Back in my day, there wasn't God is grace and showed them grace. We served a mean God who judged everything we did and we were filled with guilt, shame, fear, and constipation and we liked
1: it. <laughs>
2: Nowadays, the church is just filled with a bunch of sissified, penny waste grace-aholics and I don't like it. Hello, my name is George. And I'm Jorge. And together we're George, George and Jorge. Jorge. You know what the world is lacking is a little bit of truth and a little bit of grace. Yes. So we've taken them both and packaged them together in a really cheesy song that we will all forget in a couple of months and go back to our selfish ways.
1: Right, right, right. And, and what we've done is we've remixed the song and we've added in the truth and the grace. So we don't know if you'll live it out, but you can certainly sing it out.
2: I know the Bible so well I have some truth I can tell I know just where you fell And I can show you the way A change in you is my wish Although you tried, you did miss You must stop acting like this And I can show you the way This truth I'm holding Jesus' grace I'm showing Holy Spirit's blow Jesus was born as a baby. Hey! I just met you, and this is crazy. But here's the truth, friends, and some Gracie. Fact: little Timmy Torkelson is going off to juvie. The truth is, Jersey is a better place without Timmy Torkelson.
1: Uh, um, actually, I, uh, I, I paid the, the fine, and uh, I, uh, I talked to the judge, and uh, he waived all the charges. He did what?
2: Yeah.
1: I just—I I showed the kid grace, you know, no punishment. I even offered to uh, to be his big brother.
2: Wow, that is a uh, that is so big boy of you, you know. That's that's uh, that's crazy. That's that's really crazy.
1: No, oh, that's great. Are you
2: crying? No, I'm not crying. This is that pupil dexteritis thing that's going around, all right?
1: Sounds made up to me. <laughs>
2: it's not made up. It's as real as your mother's mole.
1: I'm uh, playing Jesus in my church program. It came to me. I told him I don't look anything like him, but nobody else would do it. So here I am. In playing him, It's. I got to thinking about him. And of all the things he is, there's this amazing thing about him that this this balance of truth and grace you know i mean take for instance the story of the rich young ruler i mean it says in mark that that, that he showed genuine love jesus shows genuine love to this guy i mean that's that's grace that's amazing grace that's that's amazing grace yeah but then just like a minute or two later he looks at him and says you need to sell everything you have if you want to follow me and that's truth because he knew that Money had to hold on to the guy's heart. Truth and grace. I need more of that in my life. The truth is, I, I may not look like Jesus, but I sure do want to act more like him.
0: So the question is this for all of us, and that is. Can we grow as individuals and can we grow as a church in such a way as to love everyone, no matter who they are? Can we do that? Can we come to have that kind of love? Can we have enough grace that we come to have that kind of love? That we don't look at people in terms of what they've done, in terms of their shortcomings. We don't judge them. We don't criticize them. We don't argue them. We don't try to hold them accountable into God's kingdom. We just simply love them into God's kingdom. Would you like to be a part of a church just like that? I know I would. Because that's what God calls us to do. Because that's the very thing that he has done for us. And if we can really believe that, and we really embrace that; it will make quite a bit of change in who we are and how we relate to other people. And the question is, can we do it? Might the answer that I say is absolutely we can. And we see that as we look at our scripture verse today, which is two Peter one verses one through four. Now I have up here the English Standard Version, and so we want to let's just read along with me as we take a look. At one in Peter 2, 2, Peter 1, verses 1 through 4. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Wow. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God, And of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you, we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world. Because of sinful desire. So what I want to do here with this scripture is I want to take a look at three things that I hope to leave you with today. Three things. But before I go there, I just want to say that I really love the way Peter starts this out. He says, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. So he identifies himself first and foremost as a servant. Of Jesus Christ. That's his identity. That's who he sees himself as. And he's basically saying. I think there. That's really all he needs. And I think that's just so awesome. And so neat. How he starts that out. So anyway. Three things. First. Faith. Look what he says. To those who have obtained a faith. That is equal to ours. So you can. You have. Or you can have. A faith that is equal to Peter's, Paul, and all the other apostles. You have this faith, or you can have this faith. That is what he's saying. You have it if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you can have it if you do accept him as your Lord and Savior. Let that soak in for just a minute. You have a faith that is equal. That's an amazing thing if you really begin to think about that. Do you really believe that? Do you really, really believe that you have that faith? I think a lot of Christians out there feel that they're a less loved child of God. And what Peter is saying here is stop that thinking. That is simply not the case. He is telling us, he says, listen, the righteousness that you have received from Jesus Christ is the same that I received, So our faith is of equal standing, and that's what he's telling us. In Alpha, the first two weeks, once we get started with Alpha, the first week we look at who is God, who is Jesus. And the second week we look at why did Jesus die. Now the first week when we look at Jesus, we look at all the evidence and everything that shows us that Jesus is God. That's what we look at. And we see and we know that God is completely without sin. He's perfectly flawless. He's perfectly righteous. That's what we see when we look at who is Jesus, that he is God. And then when we look at why did Jesus die, what we look at there, and this is important, is that he who is completely without sin took our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. There's no levels in there with respect to the righteousness of God. It doesn't have anything about that. It just says we could become the righteousness of God. And what I think is so important for us to get and understand is that that same garbage that Peter had, the same garbage, all the garbage of Paul, all the garbage, my garbage, your garbage, Jesus took that on the cross. And what he did in taking that on the cross is he gave to us his righteousness. So we essentially changed places with him in that respect. And I think it's so important that we really understand that. It's so important that we really understand that we have that faith that is of equal standing with Peter, with Paul, with all the apostles. The second thing is Grace. Grace and peace for each and every one of us here can be multiplied. Who here would like to have more grace and more peace? Absolutely. I would. I can promise you that. And Peter here tells us through the knowledge of our God and Jesus our Savior. And what he's talking about here, he's not talking about knowing about God. That's not what he means when he talks about knowledge, because even the demons know about God. He's talking about an intimate relationship with God, a close, personal, intimate relationship. And there is only one way to get that, and that is to spend time with God. Spend dedicated time in his word, And in prayer, each and every day, make it a priority. It's as if God is saying, listen, I want this relationship with you. I want to be close as possible with you. The more time you spend with me, the more you know me. The more you know me, the closer you are to me. The closer you get to me, the more grace and the more peace you will experience. And that is absolutely true. And I can stand here today and I can tell you from experience that is absolutely true. You will experience a multiplication of grace and peace. And then Peter goes on to talk about life. And he says, we have everything, everything we need. For life and for godliness. That's what he tells us here. Because of these precious and very great promises. Because of this knowledge of knowing who God is. Spending that time with him. Getting to know him really, really well. Then we can have this life in which we partake of the divine nature. One of the things we look at in Alpha again is on week seven, we look at the Holy Spirit. We have a whole teaching on who is the Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do, and how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of God. And that's partakers of the divine nature. So again, what we see here, the third thing we see here is that we can have this life. And we have everything that we need for this life and for godliness. So our big idea today is this. And that is that intimate knowledge of God equals faith, grace, and life in abundance. In abundance. Expressing itself as radical, Lord-centric living. That's what intimate knowledge gets us. That's what this multiplication of grace gets us. And it's so awesome, if you think about it, that the creator of our universe, who owns everything, who knows everything, wants this for us. And is always ready and willing and certainly able to get it. And if you will really believe this, If you will really grab a hold of it, you will move everything out of the way that hinders you from having this intimate knowledge for letting Jesus literally sit on the throne of your heart, if you will. So, as I wrap this up, let's talk about a practical application. I still work, so I want to talk about it from a work standpoint. So if, you know, in Ephesians 6, verses 7 and 8, I believe it is, Paul talks about the fact that when we work, we should work as if working for the Lord and not for man. But what does he kind of say in there? Well, just four things, just thoughts, ideas for you to kind of think about. One is this, do that. Work when you work, whatever your job is. When you do that, do, as, do that work as if you're working for the Lord. And, and and ask yourselves these questions. Why, how, and when would the Lord want this done? Whatever that task, that job is. Will you, Lord, help me do this? Because He will. And then what effect will this have on the Lord's honor with me doing this really good job? That's the first thing. The second thing is be kind, be good, be gentle. Don't be in a rush to get into any kind of argument or to criticize. Slow down. Have a gentle demeanor. Think about it this way, and this is at work or this could be in any interaction, any conversation. Think about when you're in the middle of something, particularly if it's a heated one, but anyone. How would you respond if Jesus just showed up right there and then? What would your response be? Would you be ashamed? Or would you be, yeah? And you need to think about that in particularly in your work. And the other thing is, know that you have the power to really do a good job. You really do have that power to do a good job. Even if you work for an inconsiderate employer or boss, if you have a boss that criticizes you, if you have a boss that ignores you, stop. Don't think, you know, just kind of put out of your mind, if you will, that boss is being your supervisor and go back to the thought that you work for the Lord. It will really change your perspective. It will change how you view the job that you're doing. It really will. And lastly, be encouraged. Always be encouraged that nothing good is done in vain. One of the amazing things that Paul says in Ephesians 6 and verses 7 and 8, he says, whatever good thing each one does, listen to this, this he will receive back from the Lord. Hmm. Kind of gives you a different motivation, doesn't it? But that's what The truth of the fact is. So be encouraged. Don't get discouraged because somebody doesn't see what you're doing. A little thing, big thing. God sees everything. He knows everything. He's ever-present. He's all-knowing. So he does. And what we see here is you're going to receive a reward now, and you're going to receive a reward later as well. So kind of think about that in your everyday life. In your job or just in your everyday life. So, Here's some next steps that I want to give to you. One, begin to spend dedicated time with God each and every day in his word and in prayer. Listen, there's one thing that every one of us in here have that is the same. And that is each and every one of us sitting here today and in this city and throughout this world get 168 hours a week. We do. Now, if you like me and you work, you take your normal standard work week, you take the time it takes to get ready, the time to travel to and from work, let's say that's 60 hours a week. That leaves you 108 hours. If you like a lot of folks, unfortunately, I don't get eight hours a night, but if you get eight hours of sleep a night, that's 56 hours. That leaves you 52 hours a week. That's oh, that's um, over seven hours a day, slightly over seven, about seven and a half hours a day. I think every one of us deliver the rest of our lives. I think every one of us can carve out time when we have just over seven hours every day if we want to, if we desire God that much, we can take the time and we can spend that time with him and we can really get to know him. So start. Start by reading the Gospel of John. It's a great, great place to start reading if you don't have a Bible reading plan. And ask him. Ask the Lord to help you. Tell him, hey, I have a desire. Help me, show me, guide me, lead me, and he will to do this. Now, if what I've said up here today you think is you're just not sure about, you don't believe any of it, hey, one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to say, please come to Alpha. It starts on February 22nd. It's on Wednesday night. And I'm only asking you to come to the first one. Then you can decide if you want to come to the rest of them. If nothing else, you will eat very well. (laughs) I can promise you that. And if you know someone that is struggling with any of this, that is struggling with any of this, invite them. Invite them to Alpha. Have them come and see. Come with them, but have them come and see. Because I really believe this. That if we have grace, and if we have peace multiplied in our lives, then we're going to, and we have that intimate relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. We're going to have a desire to serve him. And we're going to have a desire to see other people brought into the kingdom and loved into God's kingdom. And if you don't have a relationship even today with Jesus Christ, don't keep putting it off. Please. You can have an amazing life and the closer you are in that relationship with him, the more amazing you will find your life to be. I can promise you that. Because I can tell you that from experience. Because I've been down that road. So, reflect on all that. Read this scripture a little bit more. Look at the promises. Because there's some amazing promises that God has made. To each and every one of us. So give that some thought. So as we come to this table this morning. and This is a table we come to each week. um, It's a table all about grace. It really is. God coming here in the person of Jesus Christ. For us. He came here for us. He came here to take upon himself our garbage, our sin, all of it. Why? So that we could have that relationship, that personal relationship with him. Now and into eternity. That's the whole purpose of why he came. That's an amazing God. And we know on the night before he died, as he sat with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread is my body, and it is broken for you. And in the same way after supper, he took the cup and filling it. He said, this cup, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. This is poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he said, whenever you take of this bread and this cup, he said, remember my death until I come again. Because it is through his death that we have this amazing relationship with him. And that we can have this amazing relationship with him. give us some thought.